0: Hey, good morning. Good Good to see you. Good to be seen by all of you, my fellow UUs. Grateful to be one of this morning's supporting actors in this opening scene of beloved community. Many thanks to my Meadville Lombard classmates, your fearless leaders, Reverend Chris, Reverend Aaron, for the gift of this opportunity. And for entrusting all of you to me, a cat they basically haven't seen since seminary. Talk about brave. In any case, here we are. 26 Octobers ago, 1996, where I was, was Morgan State University in Baltimore, Maryland. Music major, brand new to college, brand new to the instrument of bass. I had been a cellist in high school. So I was a freshman surrounded by a jazz combo of very irritated and frustrated seniors who threw lots of shade my way every day. Every time I played the wrong note, sped up or slowed down, they would beg our band director to either fire me or hire another bassist. But for better and for worse, there was just me. So my bandmates determined to either help me grow exponentially or help me go elsewhere expeditiously. (laughs) Thankfully, my fate was the former. I worked day and night and all the hours in between and eventually worked my way up to a decent cruising altitude of bass playing. I could hold down the fort, I could support, okay enough to not be in the way, but perfectly content to shine in the shadows. From time to time, they would ask me to take a bass solo. Every time, I'd say, no way. And then one day, they didn't take no for an answer. They also didn't really ask. The trombonist finished his solo, smiled, leaned into the mic, and said, Now we'll have a solo by our bass player. (laughs) Every player but me left the stage, (laughs) leaving me to my own devices, forcing my hands. I couldn't tell you what I played, but I can tell you that I probably would have never said yes. Bass requires bravery and balanced bass players must be able to solo from time to time. So as impatient and unkind as that push felt, In hindsight, it was very necessary. It was tough love. And the other players did return to join me on the stage, eventually. (laughs) So this morning, we find ourselves a few weeks past a celestial day of atonement, fall equinox, which is reuniting of darkness and light and balance. A few days past a spiritual day of atonement, the Jewish high holy day of Yom Kippur, reuniting of souls with their wholeness. One day before a societal day of atonement, indigenous people's day. The root word of atonement is literally at-one-ment. The condition of being united or reunited at one with others. Though atonement is almost always a return to love. Reconciliation, reparation, or restoration. And it's almost never pleasant. Atonement is usually tough love. Ideally, love is a balancing act of tenderness and toughness. Many of us are comfortable with the former, the latter, not so much. Yet there are so many moments in our personal lives when love's light calls us to bravely do the tough stuff in our close connections, to call out, call forth, agitate, press, walk away, stand up, stand against, hold accountable. You know, the shadow work. The late great author, Ursula K. Le Guin once said, when you light a candle, you also cast a shadow. So I say, let's get to work. If you would all join me together in stating in unison our chalice lighting words. Altogether, this is the flame we hold in our hearts as we strive for justice for everyone. This is the light we shine upon systems of oppression until they are no more. This is the warmth that we share with one another as our struggle becomes our salvation. This morning, call to worship comes from uh, the good doctor, Maya Angelou. In the flush of love's light, we dare be brave. And suddenly we see that love costs all we are and will ever be, yet it is only love which sets us free.
1: Good morning, I'm Carolyn Grimminger, I'm your lay leader today. And we're just gonna have the um, moment where we reaffirm our commitment to our mission. So as everyone knows that's familiar with Unitarian Universalism, Our congregations do not have dogmas or creeds, but what we do have is a mission statement. And we put it on our wall and we say it together every Sunday. Together, we nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice to build beloved community.
2: That's right. My name is Kinsey. Um, And today we are going to read a beautiful, beautiful book. This, that is called I Love You Because I Love You. And this book has, I love, love, love the artwork in this book. We read a book called Julian is a Mermaid the other day. Do you remember that book? And we had the same illustrator. Her name is Jessica Love. But this is a story about how we show love. And you'll notice that there are different ways people show love. They can share food. They can cheer people on, just like we did with Rena. They can give flowers. And as we grow and change, our love changes with our friends and with our family. So this is I love you because I love you. I love you because you're you. And I love you because you're here. Because I love you, I am here. I love you because you carry me. Because I love you. I am strong. I love you because you play with me. Because I love you, the world becomes our playground. I love swinging. Do you like to swing too? Yeah, you do? You always go swinging every day. Amazing. I love you because you see what others miss. I love you because you let me speak. Because I love you. Love blooms where our voices meet. I love you because you cook with care. Because I love you, food tastes better when shared. I love you because you let me make mistakes. I Because I love you, no mistake is ever too great. Look how beautiful that is. We all work together on it. I love you because you know when I'm sad. Because I love you, I share the good with the bad. I love you because you're brave when I'm afraid. Because I love you, I am braver every day. I love you because you wait for me. Because I love you. You're never too late. I love you because you tell the best stories. Because I love you, my best story is you. I love you because we go together. Because I love you, we change and grow together. I love you because I love you.
0: Our reading this morning comes from the heart of St. Paul. A large part of the New Testament in the Christian tradition is attributed to Paul, something like 13 out of 27 books. For context, 1 Corinthians is Paul's first surviving letter to the church of Corinth in Greece. Inside that letter is a love letter, a passage on what Paul understood to be the nature of love's light, or at least what it should be. Kind of a classic wedding reading. If you've seen your share of weddings, you've definitely heard this passage here and there. Ironically, most modern Bible scholars consider Paul to have been asexual. Never married, never partnered, no relationship experiences. So Paul's light comes through that prison. He definitely started a lot of churches, wrote a lot of letters to those churches. Probably didn't have the best work-life balance, but we've all been there, right? I invite you into these words from 1 Corinthians, chapter 13, verses 4 through 8. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. I wanna invite us into a bit of a meditative space. I wanna invite you just to take a, a nice big deep breath in. If you feel willing to let your eyes close very naturally, very soft, light airy eyelids. You take this next big, deep breath in, just breathe in a space of gratitude for all who are surrounding you for another moment of life and health, for all the things that are going on in the world, for this community that we share together, for the love in this room and in this space. As you let go of your next breath, try to let go of anything you have brought with you into the space from your week, all of the heaviness, all of the challenges, all of the ups, the downs, we want to invite ourselves into a nice, soft, gentle landing space? If you can get into a nice, effortless position in your chair, just a nice, attentive, receptive flow. Take one more big, deep breath in. As you release this, as you release this breath, let yourself settle nicely into the atmosphere for just a moment of silent meditation and reflection. We'll have an opportunity now to light some candles uh, for all that's alive in your heart. Um, All that is alive in your heart. Please feel free to do that as we do that. We're going to offer some gifts of music again. I believe this is a song called Make Your Own Kind of Music, which Benji will play and will also be gifted with the vocals of Cheryl Reed.
1: It may be rough going just to do your things, the hardest thing to do. Cause you gotta. even if nobody else sings along
0: everybody all right so far? Anybody see Lost? So isn't that song a little, like it was well sung, but that song, if you haven't seen Lost, watch Lost when you get some time. There's There's a scene where it's playing and something's happening in an underground thing and it's wild. Rumi once said, both light and shadow are the dance of love. So in the spirit of atonement, this morning's sermon is a kind of response to Paul's call. Some, um, Yin, to dance with all that yang. Not a counter argument, more of a yes and. So we'll dance through this sermon interactively in this way. When I give you the high sign, I'll invite you to respond with the improv proverb, yes and. For example, love is amazing. Yes and. Off we go. (laughs) Number one, love is patient. Sometimes love is impatient. Ask any drill sergeant worth their salt. Sometimes the most loving thing you can do for another is not wait. Lovingly agitate. Help another soul move bravely through their fears with purpose. Drill sergeants don't have time because they know in war you won't have time. Time is of the essence and lives hang in the balance. Yours, theirs, and those of both of your loved ones. So, it is this balance of compassion and compression that trains the troop, and ultimately, hopefully, gets them through combat and back home to the ones they love. Drill sergeants hold the tension. They are the tension that pushes you to the very edge of yourself so that you might grow. The best of them bend you just short of breaking and love you just as hard in the moments they sense you are desperate for encouragement and blessed assurance, a delicate and very necessary balance. It's a tough tightrope to walk, but it is a holy pilgrimage, and anything less will do a disservice to your process. Number two, love is kind. Have you ever broken up with someone so kindly, so gently, so delicately? that they left the conversation thinking you were still together. (laughs) So you had to have the conversation again, a few times maybe. Or worse yet, you went underground, complete radio silence, ghosted. You didn't want to hurt their feelings or be unkind, so you vanished. Along with any chance of that soul knowing your truest truth, however inconvenient. Whatever they did or did not do, whatever they stirred up or could not stir up in you, they don't know. Thusly, they can't really grow. Sometimes the most loving thing you can do for another is to tell them your truest truth, which may feel quite unkind to them in the moment. Even if it's on your way out the door, lovingly make them aware of their lack of self-awareness, and you might help them begin to evolve, maybe You're the only one with that insight. Or maybe you're the only one who loves them enough to say it out loud. We so often hurt each other the most when we are trying not to hurt each other. We care or cared so much that we don't dare tell our whole truth. But there's often great love in a lamentation, holy healing that flows both ways, release. So be kind to yourself by loving what is holy in you, your heartfelt, hard truths offered compassionately but completely balanced. Now, be advised, you may very well find yourself inviting a sermon worth of stinging yes and insights in reply and a bunch of outstanding balances you never knew were past due. But you will be true. And anything less would do a disservice to your and their process. Number three, love does not envy. My friend and colleague, Paige, with whom I served for nearly seven years at the Unitarian Universalist Congregation of Columbia, Maryland, often traces her call to ministry to what I would call a moment of holy envy. Paige, sitting in a pew, staring at the pulpit, wishing it was the other way around, feeling a divinely directed desire in that moment to be a minister, not jealous of the shepherd of that flock in any way, just moved to become the shepherd of her own flock, moved to spread love bravely as the lead and charter course for that cause. Paige envied. Sometime later, our mutual friend Jen found her way to Paige's pasture, and Jen, sitting in a pew, staring at the pulpit, Heard her own still small voice bravely say, Ooh, I'd like that. I could do that. I should do that. Holy envy. Many dictionaries define envy as a desire to have a quality, a possession, or other desirable attribute belonging to someone else. Those same dictionaries define jealousy as feeling resentment against someone because of that person's rivalry, success, or advantages. For me, love in its purest form is not jealous, although fear certainly is. And sometimes love does envy. A healthy self-love that listens to a still small voice and engages soulfully with the people, places, and things that cross its path and desires to grow accordingly. Many moons ago, I'm sure I saw the teenage me see someone else play bass somewhere sometime. And I desired to have the quality of being a bass player, felt my spirit moving toward it. I wanted to possess that attribute. I envied it, embodied it, pursued that call. In my experience, the spirit of life lovingly helps us self-define through flashes of holy envy. Who am I? who do I want to be? Ooh, I like that. I could do that. I should do that. You can't spell envision without envy. Well, almost. <laughs> Number 4. Love does not boast and is not proud. They say there's a thin line between love and hate. I suspect there's an even thinner line between the kind of pride that gets you places in life and the kind of pride that gets you thrown out of places in life. (laughs) The artist Sade would say, love is stronger than pride. I would say, yes, and for me, love in its highest expression contains a recommended daily allowance of pride. I see Sade's proverb and I raise her in the sense that I intend to raise my children with hearts that contain a healthy amount of both love and pride, a brave sense of pride in who they are and whose they are, from whence and whom they come and wherever there may go. What they accomplish, what they aspire to, I will set my heart to modeling a life lived in love that they might know how proud I am of them. How much I love and am proud of their mother. Neither exceedingly boastful nor abundantly bashful. Balanced lives. Or, as the Greek temple at Delphi, four hours from Corinth, used to say, nothing in excess. Anything less would do a disservice to their process. Number five. Love does not dishonor others and is not self-seeking. Sometimes others dishonor themselves and love tells the truth to and about them in love. Sometimes love in its highest expression calls out in order to call forth, forcibly sets captives free from their own shadows and all others unknowingly dwelling in those illusions. Sometimes love is the blues of compassionate confrontation. It is sometimes the confidant bravely saying to the close friend, you will tell your partner that you have been unfaithful or I will. You will call the police and turn yourself in or I will do it for you. You will check into rehab or I will check you into rehab. Sometimes love means I will burn this bridge to save your life, even if that gets me kicked out of your life. For me, love is a very precarious balancing act of toughness and tenderness, of divine discernment, an imperfect but constant seeking of alignment by way of atonement. That feels honorable to me. Be very wary of the soul who swears to you that they are not self-seeking and have no self-interest for this is an optical illusion. (laughs) Number six, love is not easily angered. Love is also not entirely opposed to feeling some anger from time to time, not rage or violence to be clear, nothing in excess, but in family, friendships, and relationships, in my experience, anger is an unavoidable part of the heart cycle of seasons the yin half of the equinox. Be very careful around a soul who thinks themselves so spiritual, so exalted, so enlightened, so holy that to never feel any anger. <laughs> Full disclosure, I used to be one of those souls. <laughs> I'm very glad people were careful with and around me for the many years I was unknowingly sleepwalking through my emotions. Righteous anger is rooted, quite literally, in love. The old Norse root of the word anger, angra, translates to, among other things, grief. To be vexed at or to take offense with. And who else gives you more golden opportunities to be vexed and offended than your loved ones? Good grief. Number seven. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Sometimes the most loving thing you can do for another is to hold them accountable. Hold them to their promises, particularly the broken ones. To hold their shadow actions up to the light while surrounding and supporting them in love. Forgiving, but not necessarily forgetting. Just choosing to begin again in love. Anyone ever been able anyone ever been able to attend a Yom Kippur service? There is a beautiful ritual of shared shadow work called Ashamnu, which translates to we are guilty. Essentially, on Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish New Year, the book of life is opened. And the first event in the new year, Yom Kippur, is atonement for the transgressions of the past year. So each attendee makes a fist and lightly beats on their heart as they make a prayer of confession together, collectively, as beloved community. The idea being that you must first own your missteps, the record of your wrongs, before you can truly atone for them. We have lied. We have been insensitive. We have been judgmental. We have been hypocritical. The physical act is important here. The word, the apology, and the deed. And then... The invitation is for everyone to forgive themselves and each other and begin again in love. And the book of life is once again signed, sealed, and delivered. For souls in recovery, the eighth step of 12 is to make a list of all the persons you have harmed and become willing to make amends to them all. This is literally a record of your wrongs but it's also a roadmap, returning you toughly back to your highest power. Love. Number eight. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Yes. The yoga sutras call us to the principle of satya, truthfulness, to think, speak, and act with integrity. Yes, and... Not everything that is true is helpful. Not everything that is ultimately helpful comes without harm. For me, love is the eternal truth, but the consequences and the context are complicated, not always clear. The definition of evil is complicated, contrasts sharply from person to person, culture to culture, era to era. We might all in this room now in 2022 agree that slavery is evil, but probably not in 1822, definitely not in 1622. 1,600 years before that, in letters to both the churches of Ephesus and Colossus, St. Paul wrote, slaves, obey your masters in everything, and do it not only when their eye is on you, and to carry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord." I am eternally grateful to the ancestors of mine who did not obey their masters. (laughs) Who bravely fled for freedom or died trying. The ones who loved me, the idea of me, enough to defy the evil truth of that era. And also for the ones that couldn't. Who bravely stood their ground, shined their light, surviving against all odds to plant the seeds to the family trees from which I now branch out. For me, there is no greater love than this. Number nine, love always protects, trusts, hopes, and perseveres and never fails. Yes. Love is absolutely all these things always, except when it isn't. <laughs> this is the sacred sacrilege of parents, lovers, Drill sergeants, college band directors, coaches, mentors, ministers, sponsors, spouses, etc. You cannot protect another from everything or from themselves always, nor should you necessarily. All the world is a stage, says Shakespeare. Sometimes the most loving thing you can do is leave a frightened soul on the stage alone to solo. Trust the process. Push them and hope they persevere. Trust that even if they fail, they are growing, learning, unlearning, dancing their light shadow shuffle. And the spirit of life is present in the process, however quietly. Through my prism, love is a balancing act, which means that I will get it wrong sometimes, very wrong. Despite my best and most loving intentions, I'll do damage, and I need to remind myself to stay open to receive tough love, to bear witness lovingly to the reflections of my loved ones, have the tough conversations, aspire to make right my wrongs, to amend, to atone, and begin again in love. P.S. The trombonist with whom I worked on that gig, that jazz combo gig, Inspired me to work, so I kept working. I worked hard. I became a working bass player, and one of the first bands I worked with was his band, he and his brother's band. So we worked a lot. He would write me checks that didn't really work at the bank. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) (laughs) So the irony is that the person who tough loved me into balance, right, who like helped me return to love, like also taught me the meaning of a return check, right? (laughs) Isn't that ironic? Don't you think? (laughs) Happy Equinox. Happy Yom Kippur. uh, Happy Sunday. Ashe. Blessed be. Together we extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. Our benediction comes uh, very much in the spirit of the Maya Angelou piece we began with. This comes from the poet Amanda Gorman. You may remember this from the inaugural address, The Hill We Climb. We will rebuild, reconcile, and recover every known nook of our nation, every corner called our country. Our people, diverse and beautiful, will emerge battered and beautiful when day comes We step out of the shade, aflame and unafraid. The new dawn blooms as we free it, for there is always light. If only we're brave enough to see it, if only we are brave enough to be it. Blessed be.
2: This is a production of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, go to our website at austinuu.org.